thank you all for being here today. We're going to have a good time in the Word this morning, I believe, with all my heart, I trust. Um, we're getting into our Christmas series, uh, A King is Born, A Born is the King. And this is really an important topic for me, and I think for all of us, because Christmas can kind of get drowned in, in sentimentalism, and it's, I have no problem with sentimentalism. It's an important part of Christmas is the sentimental aspect, Jesus the baby in the manger, the celebrations that our culture has created around it are good and wonderful for most part, and uh, would appreciate not trying to take any of that away from you. Uh, another thing about the message of Jesus and his birth is we, as evangelical Christians, uh, which many of you are, probably most of you are today, is uh, we see Jesus as our personal savior, that babe who comes in the manger to be with us and to eventually go to the cross and die for our sins, and he is our personal savior. Well, I want to hold on to those two things, the, the sentimental Jesus and the savior Jesus, the personal savior Jesus. We're not going to set those things aside. We're not going to not believe those things, but I want to I bring our attention in this Christmas series to something bigger, something bigger than my sentimental celebrations of Jesus, something bigger than even my own personal salvation. And that is that Jesus came to be the king of the world. That Jesus came to become the king of the earth. And he succeeded. Now, I can understand your skepticism because as I uh, checked the headlines in this morning and the world had not become a wonderful place. So there may be questions that he succeeded in his coming, but in the next couple of messages, I want to do my best to convince you that everything's on schedule, that it's on track, that he did succeed. Isaiah 9.6, we're going to use as a jumping off scripture today from the Message Bible. For a child has been born for us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. King James Bible says the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. So we're going to talk about these things. Jesus, personal Savior King, the sentimental celebration of Christmas and all those beautiful stories. But I want to talk about Jesus, the King of the world, and about the kingdom of God. And to set this up, I want to use a video, a little short video from the Bible Project, because they can set this up in four minutes and 50 seconds better than I could do in 30 minutes to frame this for you into what Jesus really came to do. And by the way, we're going to prom be promoting the Bible Project as a reading plan. We'll, you're going to be able to go to our app uh, by the first of the year and be able to log in and use this as a daily Bible reading plan. I really encourage you to do this. My sister-in-law, Judy Pinkerton, got us uh, paying attention to the Bible Project several months ago when, when, when her community group did it together. And it's, it's, an, it's an amazing Bible reading program that will help you understand not just isolated scriptures and text, but the narrative of scripture. God is telling a story. History is his story. God is telling and creating this great, wonderful story, and salvation is when you become a part of God's story. 
Salvation is when you, your life becomes, and your family's life becomes a part of the story that God is weaving throughout history. And that will help you understand that every, it's all okay. We're on track. Things are moving forward. So I'm gonna, I want to just step aside and let you watch about four minutes of, of the Bible Project explain the kingdom of God and how Jesus came to set it up and how everything is how the gospel is what? Good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is good news. Let's... The gospel according to Matthew. It's one of the earliest official accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The book itself is anonymous, but the earliest reliable tradition links it to Matthew the tax collector, who was one of the 12 apostles that Jesus appointed, and he actually appears within the book itself. For about 30 to 40 years, the apostles orally taught and passed on their eyewitness accounts about Jesus, along with his teachings that they had all memorized. And Matthew has then collected and arranged all these into this amazing tapestry and designed the book to highlight certain themes about Jesus. In this video, we're just going to cover the first half of the book. Specifically, Matthew wants to show how Jesus is the continuation and fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and Israel. That Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David, that he is a new authoritative teacher like Moses, and not only that, Jesus is God with us, or in Hebrew, Emmanuel. And Matthew's designed this book with an introduction and then a conclusion, and these act like a frame around five clear sections right here in the center, each of which concludes with a long block of Jesus' teaching. Now, this design is very intentional, and it's amazing. Just watch how this works. Chapters 1 through 3, they set the stage by attaching Jesus' story right onto the storyline of the Old Testament scriptures. So Matthew opens with a genealogy about Jesus that highlights how he is from the messianic line of the son of David, and he's a son of Abraham. That means he's going to bring God's blessing to all of the nations. After that, we get the famous story about Jesus' birth and how all of the events fulfilled the Old Testament prophetic promises that the nations would come and honor the Messiah, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, but even more than that, Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit, his name Emmanuel, all these work together to show that Jesus is no mere human. He is God with us. God become human. So you can see two of Matthew's key themes right here in the introduction. He's from the line of David. He's Emmanuel. But Matthew also wants to show how Jesus is a new Moses. So like Moses, Jesus came up out of Egypt he passed through the waters of baptism, and he entered into the wilderness for 40 days. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain to deliver his new teaching. So through all of this, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the promised greater than Moses figure, who's going to deliver Israel from slavery, he's going to give them new divine teaching, he's going to save them from their sins, and bring about a new covenant relationship between God and his people. This Moses and Jesus parallel also explains why Matthew has structured the center of the book the way that he did. These five main parts highlight Jesus as a teacher, and he's created a parallel. Jesus as a teacher parallels the five books of Moses. Jesus is the new authoritative covenant teacher who's going to fulfill the storyline of the Torah. Now, in the first section, chapters 4 to 7, Jesus steps onto the scene announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. And this is really key. The kingdom is, in essence, about God's rescue operation for his whole world. And it's taking place through King Jesus. 
Jesus has come to confront evil, especially spiritual evil, and its whole legacy of demon oppression and disease and death. Jesus has come to restore God's rule and reign over the whole world by creating a new family of people who will follow him, obey his teachings, and live under his rule. So, after Jesus begins healing people and forming a movement, a community, he takes his followers out to a mountain or a hillside, and he delivers his first big block of teaching, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus explores what it looks like to follow him and live in God's kingdom. And it's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members. So the poor, the nobodies, the wealthy, the religious, everybody is invited and is called to turn, to repent, and to follow Jesus and join his family. Jesus says that he's not here to set aside the commands of the Torah or the Old Testament. Rather, he's here to fulfill all of that through his life, through his teachings. He's here to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly love God and love their neighbor, including their enemy. So there you have it. There's the, you, you, you feel like you've been to Sunday school class? Those of you who used to go to Sunday school back in the day. Now, let's think about Jesus as the king, the ruler, the boss. Let's think about that for a minute. Think about, I, I think about what I really like in a relationship. I'll be really totally transparent with you this morning that when it comes to my personal relationships, I'm not really looking for bossy people. I'm not really looking for people who give me a lot of direction. Are you? I'm not really looking for, in a, when it comes to personal relationships and enjoying another person, I don't really enjoy uh, someone who constantly feels it's their job to tell me what to do. That's just, you know, I like uh, therapeutic relationships. You know, I like, I like, uh, I like uh, relationships that, uh, I like people that laugh at my jokes. It's really important. I like people who share my sense of humor. Uh, people who, uh, when they talk to me, they, they, they are always focused on my body language and kind of see where I'm at and they couch their words to make sure they're not pushing too hard or whatever, you know. That's what I want in a personal relationship. I want somebody, I want somebody who shares my interest, you know, who likes what I like, right? Likes to go eat where I want to go eat. Likes to, to watch, you know, I, I, somebody wants to watch the same game I want to watch, you know. That, that's what I like in a personal relationship. And, and, you know, especially what's really, really important in relationships is we don't think about it. You, in fact, I bet, I bet some of you have never thought about this before. And so this is going to be worth your money to come today. You've never thought about this, but there are three kinds of talk in relationships. There's up talk, across talk, and down talk. Three different ways we talk to one another. Up talk, across talk, down talk. Up talk is usually the most enduring when people talk up to us. They defer to us. They ask our opinion. They want to know how we feel. They want to take care of us. They up talk. And across talk, that's pretty good too. That's what two friends and kind of sharing the same thing and punch each other on the shoulder. You know, hey, buddy. You know, that kind of cross talk. That's, that's good. That works good. But you know what, what everybody hates is down talk. People talk down to you. And, and, and some people fly at 30,000 feet all the time. They just go around down talk. Pointing out, you know, when you, when, you, when you walk into a situation, you point out the things that are wrong in the room. That's down talk. Now, 
here's the thing. All three are very important, and all three are good. Sometimes, sometimes we need to be talked down to. I mean, sometimes I'm about to drive the car over the cliff. You better say, stop, turn the wheel. We all need down talk sometimes. We all need somebody to set us straight. We all need somebody to give us direction. We all need somebody to be the boss sometimes when we're not ready to be the boss. We need it. We need it all. Well, but I'm telling you, Jesus came and down talk, by the way, can be positive. When you come around and say, I'm the solution. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, the life. That's down talk. Now are you starting to understand why Jesus got crucified? <laughs> are you kind of understand why a lot of people didn't like him? And, 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 and not only did he talk down to people, he used body language. The Bible says in several places he laid hands on them. And I don't know if you know, but laying hands on somebody is a dominant activity. That's a dominant gesture when you go put your hand on somebody, even if it's a friendly hand on the shoulder. I'll never forget going out. We used to go door to door in Milford, and we would go to the door. We'd knock on the door and say, we're, we're, from the, we're representing Christians in Milford, and we believe in the power of prayer. Would you let us pray for us? That's all we did. It was a, it was a great outreach, and we just Really, had you wouldn't believe the things that happened out of most people gladly let us pray for them. They would tell us what they needed. We, we would usually have fresh bread that we'd get them, and it was really cool. And I remember taking a guy with me one day, and there was an, a little Italian guy standing working in his garden. And I remember the guy who was with me thought he would do a gesture of love and acceptance, and he tried to hug the man. That guy, that guy nearly lost, he nearly broke his neck getting back against his house to get away from this hugs because touching is a very, it's a very dominant thing. Even, if it's in, even when it's affectionate, it's a very dominant thing. And Jesus went around laying hands on people. Ooh, that's big time a power move to go around laying your hands on people. I'll never forget many years ago watching a football game. And some of you remember Irving Fryer. Uh, poor Irving's in jail now, but uh, <laughs> he was... It went a real estate scam he got involved in, but uh, uh, he used to play for the Patriots and then later with the Miami Dolphins. I remember uh, uh, Don Shula, the most, I think he's the winningest coach of all time, maybe. And Don Shula was on the sideline. I remember one day watching the game and Irving Fryer goes over and puts his hand on Shula's back. And the announcers go, ooh, he shouldn't be doing that. Because <laughs> that's, a, that's a power move. And Jesus went about... Letting everyone know. See, a lot of us don't realize that. That Jesus was intentional about letting people know, I'm here. I plan to be in charge. Can there be any doubt that Jesus came to get into our business? To be the center of our lives? To be elevated to our most important influence and rule the world? The government will be on his shoulder, or as Eugene Peterson says, he'll take over the running of the world. The personal Savior who lives in my heart doesn't encompass the full purpose and scope of God sending Jesus, and it doesn't explain Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, which says, Where is he who is born, born king of the Jews? That's the wise men. We all know about the wise men. 
We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When King Herod said this, he was overjoyed. He was thrilled that the king had been discovered, that the king had been born in his day. Herod just leaned back and said, I can't believe that I get to welcome the king. That's not what it said. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, now, if they had said, uh, we've heard that a personal savior, a personal friend who wants to take away all your sins has been born in Bethlehem. He had been cool. That's awesome. Go for it. But they said, we have come. We want to know, where's the king? Herod's thinking, well, you're talking to him. King, it right here. No, we've here, the king has been born. And not only that, you think, well, yeah, the, the Herod, he, won't, he didn't like this idea, but the, the, I'm sure the common people, everyday people, they were thrilled. And the Bible says, and all Jerusalem with him. The message of who Jesus said he was got him crucified. Judas Iscariot committed suicide. Ten of the original disciples got executed. One Another one was exiled to Patmos, the island of Patmos, after he was being boiled in oil and it failed to kill him. Crucify him was what the mob said. That was important because crucifixion didn't just kill them and get rid of them. It sent a message. And the message it sent was that you're not the boss, Rome is. Don't mess with Rome. They would line the streets and line the roads outside of Jerusalem and on the way to Rome, they would line them with crucified bodies to tell everybody we're the boss, we're in charge. Jesus came and said, I'm the boss. Being, see, being too nice, too therapeutic, too complimentary doesn't evoke violence. Now, announcing to people you're their king, now that will get you hurt. Telling you. Since the King Jesus message brings out the swords and the spears, we need to reevaluate it. What was it about King Jesus that was so threatening, so intimidating, and important that the most powerful movers, shakers, and shapers of his day made a priority get rid of the lowly Nazarene? Let it not be lost on us that Jesus wasn't blindsided by the antagonism, opposition, and even death. He knew it before anybody else did. Not only that, but there's evidence of intentionality in Jesus' life that pushed men and women to either crown him or crucify him. He knew it was logical to either bow before him or beat him up. He knew it. That this, we know that this single most magnetic intelligent, wise, helpful, and loving man that ever walked the earth didn't give us the choice to just ignore him. He did not give us that option. You know, the heavily funded Freedom From Religion Foundation, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they funded millions of dollars, and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars going around trying to remove Christian symbols from public buildings all over the United States. And I think I see a lot of Christians who scratch their head. Why do they care? 
I think they understand better than we do. I think they understand better than church people that Jesus Christ came to be the king. The people who rejected Jesus didn't do, didn't do so. Now, this is a very important point. And I hope we don't miss it today. The people who rejected Jesus didn't do so because they didn't like him. They actually admired him. Jesus was the best person the world had ever met. They didn't do it. You see something on the screen there that we're going we're gonna to say it in a moment. We just hold that thought for right now. They looked at Jesus and they liked him. They thought he was amazing. No, nobody, you read the Gospels, read the Gospels. Nobody ever said that Jesus is a jerk. No, nobody ever wrote that Jesus is, Jesus is incompetent. The poor guy, he's, he's just a bumbling idiot, incompetent. He really can't accomplish much. Jesus wasn't opposed because they thought he would fail. He was opposed because they were afraid he wouldn't. They knew he wouldn't. They knew he would succeed. They knew that he was good. They knew he was better than them. They knew he was the best man they'd ever met. They knew he was the most wonderful, loving, kind, competent, caring. He was the only leader they had ever seen who had no place to lay his head, but yet he cared for the poor. He was the only leader they had ever seen who really cared about people who were hurting and suffering and who could actually do anything about it. Jesus was the best person the world had ever met. But unless we humans repent of our stinking thinking, we won't welcome the best people into our lives. That's true in human relations, and it's true in your relationship with God. Because you don't like people talking down to you, and I don't either. I don't like people to give me direction all the time, and you don't either. Don't tell me what I do. It's just you. No, nobody. Nobody. So Jesus, we got to decide. We have a decision to make today. And I wanna, I'm going to invite you to make that decision today. I'm going to invite everybody in this room. Those who've already made the decision, I want you to reevaluate it and redo it. Those of you who have never made the decision, I want to ask you this Sunday morning, this beginning of the Christmas, we're not going to wait till the end of this series. We're going to start this series by saying, let's consider making Jesus the king of our lives. Let's consider it. Jesus, this good man, he sat with a woman at the well. He knelt with a woman caught in adultery. Everybody knew this. This is historical fact. This is not legend. This is not myth. He wept with Mary at the death of her brother. He never used his power to manipulate and exploit, but to love and serve. The people who rejected Jesus, they didn't mistrust him. They were so convinced he would do what he said he would do that sometimes they got stressed when they misunderstood him and, and they assumed he was going to do stuff. When he said, I will tear down the temple in three days and rebuild it, they were so believed in him so much they thought he... That's, they think they took him literally. They took him literally, and they, he's going to do it. We've got to stop him. He has the ability. He has the power. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. I hope you're getting that this faith they had in reverse caused them to hate him, but it's because they feared him, and they, they knew, well, he probably could tear the temple down. He probably could. He's got 20,000, 30,000 people showing up to hear him teach. We can't even get three people. The ones we get to come to the tabernacle, the temple, and hear us teach have to be there. They don't have any choice. 
and we and he's attracting people who are going three days without eating. They're going three days without any food to hear this guy talk, and nobody even cares about anything we have to say. They knew politically they were dead. They knew they had met the king. The people who rejected Jesus actually respected Jesus. They were in awe. They even said, we've never heard a man teach like this man. The people who rejected Jesus were not unimpressed with Jesus. Matthew 7, 28 says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Imagine when that started getting tweeted out. Imagine when that hit the social media of the day. We like Jesus better than Rabbi, I don't know, what's his name? (laughs) I know how that feels to have people prefer another speaker. I know exactly how that feels. Then there's that classic human response to loving, caring, benevolent rulers where Jesus delivered a tormented man that lived in the region of the Gadarenes. I love this. I don't love this response, but I see it so normal and human. The townspeople couldn't control this demonic guy. Some of you remember that story. Some of you never read it or heard of it, but it's a story in the Bible about a guy who was mentally deranged and demonically possessed. And the, the people in the, this area of the Gadarenes was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from Jerusalem. They couldn't, keep this, they couldn't keep any clothes on this guy. And he's running around naked all the time and, and just out of control and hurting himself and everybody else. Nobody could control him. And Jesus goes over and he delivers the demons. He delivers the demons. And they find the guy, I love this, they find the guy clothed and in his right mind. And the, but but the, de- the demons had uh, sought permission to go into a bunch of pigs. So Jesus had sent the demons and the pigs. And the pigs ran down the hill. And here's what it says, Matthew 8, 32. He said to them, go, so they came out and went into the pigs. That's the demons I'm talking about. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into town, reported all that this had happened, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Now, you would think people who wanted other people helped and made better would go, Jesus, please don't leave us. We got some more crazy people we'd like you to meet. (laughs) I got people in my family. Come on. There's something about a king. You have to make a decision. You have to make a decision what you're going to do with a king. Humans still scream, you know, at Jesus when he's on trial, give us Barabbas. We still scream that. Think of our relationship with Hollywood. Think of our relationship with the entertainment industry and how we beg them to to be our stars and and be our friends and, and tell us how to dress. And, and tell us how to behave. It, it, but I read something this week. Mel Gibson said, he's had his own difficulties, I know. Not, I'm not lifting up as a role model. 
But he said something this week that I thought was pretty right on. He said, Hollywood elites are an enemy of mankind. <laughs> Continually acting contrary to our best interest and breaking every God-given taboo known to man, including the sanctity of children. It's an open secret in Hollywood. These people have their own religious and spiritual teachings and their own social and moral framework. They have their own sacred texts. They are sick. Believe me. <laughs> and God says, I want to give you Jesus. I want to give you Jesus. A man, don't you think if he had ever sexually harassed a woman, they would have been talking about it? They were looking for something, man. They were going through his garbage, looking for something on the guy. They had to pay people to make up stuff so they could crucify him. This pure man leaves us with what C.S. Lewis called the trilemma. Christ is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. John Stott said of Jesus, when people come to Jesus, they, they had one of three responses. He said, when people met him, they were either terrified of him, they wanted to run away. They were terrified or they wanted to run away, number one. They hated him, wanted to stone him to death, number two. Number three, or they worshiped and got down on their knees and gave him everything. So what are we to do? I'm going to give you three things quickly I want you to do. Love the crowds, but stop following the crowd. Engage with the culture, but stop imitating the culture. Number two, face the reality that we will either be ruled by an unmerciful mob or a merciful Jesus. Remember when King David messed up and he counted the people and God didn't like that because it was going to cause pride in his heart? And God said, Dave, i got to discipline you for doing that. I'm going to give you a choice. Either I will discipline you or I will turn you over to humans and let them discipline you. And David said, oh, please don't turn me over to people. You discipline me. What, by the way, whatever happened to this uh, doctrine of uh, everything's re relevant and you can do whatever you want. Man, I would much rather the church deal with me for, for, for some sexual sin than what they're doing to these guys, what the secular media is doing to them. Man, they are merciless. I, I, I love the mercy of God and the mercy of God's people. We, we have our own problems with judgmentalism sometimes, but I think they've outdone us. I, I, think this, I think this secular culture, man, they are, once it becomes politically expedient, they will crucify you. And here in the church, man, we have forgiven people of every sort of thing. In fact, we don't even, you know what we try to do? We try to keep the circle of knowledge as small as possible. We really do. Now, now it doesn't always work. We, we fail. We're, not, we're human. But we try, man. If we find out you messed up in some secret way, we try to keep the circle as secret as possible. And we go, come and deal with you and love you and help you. And we've, we've restored so many people you don't even know. You don't even know who you're sitting next to. I mean, you don't even know. <laughs> because the mercy of God is wonderful. Number three, make a firm quality decision today to make Jesus the king of your life. Amen?
Hallelujah. And what will God do? God will do three things. God will replace the feeling of pressure with a feeling of peace. Because you're not going to be a people pleaser anymore. You're going to boil it down to one person and you're going to please him. And your life's going to be simpler and easier when you please God and you please Jesus. Number two, God will give you the assurance that all your sins and all your shortcomings have been completely forgiven and overwhelmed by the grace of God. Something secular world around you cannot give you. They cannot give you that. Number three, your life will become a partnership of ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. Now, I want to skip over those verses, guys, in the back. Because I want to bring this to a close. Because I want to pray with some people. And I want to invite you forward in a moment. I want to invite you forward. Some of you, for the first time in your life today, you are going, I believe, with all my heart, you're going to make Jesus the king of your life. I believe that some of you in this room are going to do it for the first time you've ever done it. You, 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 you like Jesus, you even kind of love Jesus, and you like coming to church, but you've never crossed the line to a personal relationship of faith and partnership with Jesus to make the world what he wants it to be. And some of the rest of you are going to reaffirm that decision. I'm inviting you today. You know, you, know, you can so love the world as an object of your affection, and care, but be so done with the world as a measure of everything in your life. You know what I mean? You, you can love the world as an object of your affection, and I do love the world. We're, we're going downtown today, and we're going to be a part of the Santa Parade because we love, those, we love the world around us. We love the celebrations. We're not blue-nosed, snooty people with our nose in the air with some kind of self-righteousness. That we're even going to have Santa Claus there today, I want you to know. We're going to have Santa Claus. That, that's how close to the edge we're going to get. <laughs> See, my the church I grew up in, they call it Satan Claus. They, they would have never allowed us to have a Santa Claus in the church I grew up in. But we have, we're progressive. We're going to have Santa Claus, and we're going to have a photo booth. The kids can take their picture with Santa Claus, and we're, going to, we're not going to be waving Bibles at them and fingers at them and condemning people. We're going to have fun. Because I love the world as an object of my affection, but I, couldn't, I do not like them as a measure of what I should be doing with my life. I want to give that to Jesus. If, that, if, if that's describes you, then I'm inviting you right now to accept King Jesus. I'm inviting you to join the revolution and commit a holy and, and commit yourself to a holy, compassionate resistance movement. Imagine a world where everyone followed Jesus, where people served instead of harassed and helped themselves first. We have a whole culture in Washington, D.C. of leaders who don't use the same public education system that we use, who don't use the same healthcare system that you use, and don't use the same rules of criminal justice that you are, and I are subjected to. Imagine a world where everyone bowed to Jesus, because someday they will. Amen? 
Hopefully in the next two weeks I can convince you this is not a crazy delusional boast, but a blessed hope. I'm inviting you now, though, to get on the right side of history. Get on the right side of history now. And you'll be so glad you did. I want to just, here's a prayer I'm going to have you pray in a moment. And uh, I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to invite you down to meet me at the front. We're not, the prayer partners are going to be available, but they're not going to be standing down front as usual. We don't have the communion set up as usual. Because I believe the Lord just put it in my heart to do it this way today. So I want you to invite people forward. Now, you don't have to come down here to accept Jesus. You can accept Jesus back at your seat. Right, that would be false doctrine if I said that there's some magical thing down here. You don't have to. But I'm telling you, what, what you will do if you will come forward, here's what you will do. You'll put a stake in the ground. And later, when doubts come, and the adversaries tapped you on the shoulder and said, you, you're, you're not a Christian. You won't be, you'll be able to say, oh, yes, I am. I can take you to the spot. I can take you where I went forward and made an altar, and Jesus accepted me, and I accepted him. That's why we're going to invite you forward. Here's the prayer that I'm going to have you pray with me in a minute. Okay, God, this is my day to get off the fence. I believed in my heart that you're the risen king, but haven't confessed with my mouth. I'm ready now to close the deal with you and your son. Today, I'm ready to merge the purpose of my life with the purpose of your son, Jesus. I accept mercy for my mistakes, shortcomings, and sin, and agree to give mercy to those who have hurt, failed, and sinned against me. I am turning my back on low living, bad thinking, and self-centered solutions, and turning to Christ as the king of my heart and the ruler of my life. I declare that salvation has come to my house today. From this day forward, I will think of myself as a child of God and a friend of Christ, the King of the world. By your grace, I am saved, redeemed, made new, and made eternal in the name of Jesus, name above all names. If that is a prayer you want to pray, for the first time, or you know that you've drifted away. You know. You know you've drifted away and you've taken back the controls of your life. Or you've given the controls of your life to a culture that really doesn't know what it's doing. And you want to give your life back to the one who has wisdom and loves you and cares about you. And will connect you to a beautiful family that will also share your struggles with you. I will say a quick prayer and then I want you to come. Father, if anybody's wrestling, I pray that you'll win the wrestling match. If anybody's struggling, I pray you'll win the struggle. And they will become ch children of God. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Today, in Jesus' name. Let's stand. If you want to pray this prayer with me, I want you to come forward right now. If you have a, a friend who came down and you want to join them, please do. Please come and join your friend who came down here. To For many, many people down here, this is the most important walk they've ever made in their life. Right now, would you look at the screen up there? You're going to put that prayer back up. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Ready? Let's go. Okay, God, this is my day to get off the fence. I've believed in my heart that you're the risen king. 
but I haven't confessed with my mouth. I'm ready now to close the deal with you and your son. Today, I'm ready to merge the purpose of my life with the purpose of your son, Jesus. I accept mercy for my mistakes, shortcomings, and sin, and agree to give mercy to those who have hurt, failed, and sinned against me. I am turning my back on low living, bad thinking, and self-centered solutions, and turning to Christ as the King of my heart and the ruler of my life. I declare that salvation has come to my house today. From this day forward, I will think of myself as a child of God and a friend of Christ, the King of the world. By your grace, I am saved, redeemed, made new, and made eternal in the name of the name above all names, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.